0: Sports Radio 1043, The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know,
1: hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, here's Terry. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Honey Smoke Fish Company, Smoke Salmon. The secret is in the fire. Um,. I just want to give you a programming note that uh, those of you tuning in to watch the Ohio State mission, listen to the Ohio State mission again game. We will join that in progress at eleven o'clock. So stay tuned for that. Let's go right to the phones now. And I know he missed talking to me last week because I was in Hawaii and he and he felt lonely and he wants to talk to me, Mister Nate Zelinsky.
0: You know, Terry, I didn't know how I was gonna how I was gonna get by. I, I really did miss you. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Hey, Nate, before I lose my voice for some reason here. Oh, by the way, a good friend of yours and mine both will be joining the show after you today. Dave Gens is coming on. Perfect.
0: I'm going to be seeing him uh, this coming Friday down at the uh, St. Paul Ice Show this week. So, uh, no, great friend. Absolutely maybe maybe moment.
1: I'll have you hang on. You can say hi before you go. That'd
0: be great. I would love to say hi to, that, hi to that, the, the, official, uh, the official man of the ice.
1: Yeah. Speaking of ice, when I left for Hawaii... Weather was getting cold, and I thought I'd come back to early surface ice on the front range. Looks like that's going to get back to more of a normal <laughs> pattern. I better not put my boat away yet. But what about, um, what are you seeing? And I know you want to talk some ice fishing. What's, I know there's other parts of the States where obviously it is freezing. But what, what's going on and what are you seeing?
0: You know, absolutely Terry. Yeah, that's what we kinda of wanna talk about. I mean this uh, obviously these temps aren't exactly what you wanna see as we go into our last weekend of voting.
1: Um, you know, this
0: is uh this is our last Saturday of voting. Everything's gonna shut down here this coming weekend. Um yeah, you know, So we are we are approaching the, the final days of boating, except for, you know, obviously some lakes that don't have ANS inspections and or place, places like Pueblo. Um, so there'll still be a few places to boat in that early December. Uh, but for the most part, majority of our lakes are going to close next week to boating. Um, the high country, definitely, uh, we're seeing ice in a lot of places. Um, you know, obviously, ice safety is huge. It can change literally day by day. Um, you know, despite the warm daytime temperatures, the nighttime temps are still getting very cold in most of the high country. Um, and really the start of the ice season is just a matter of having a couple nights without breeze. Uh, and that's really what we're facing with. You know, a lot of these high country, uh, you know, the water's at, at the cold point where it needs to be for freeze up. Um, our nighttime temperatures are at the cold point for freeze up. Um, but the problem is we're having wind. As we get these warm days, warm days create wind. It creates that suction, those thermal changes. Um, so we've been having a lot of wind in the high country. And really it's just that that choppy water is what's making these lakes uh, stay open water instead of freezing up. So really once we get a, a couple of colder nights with uh, with basically no wind um, i think we're going to see the the ice cap up in the high country uh, and have very fishable conditions so i think we're right on schedule in the high country obviously the front range we always boat until december 1st uh you know it's very rare to have ice before that so uh it's hard to say where we are at exactly on the calendar on the front range but the ice on the in the high country is doing good um and that's kind of what we want to talk about today i wanted to talk about the options as, as this closes obviously if you have a boat, I would highly suggest getting out there and taking advantage of some of the smallmouth fishing, some of the walleye fishing, uh, up and down the entire Front Range. I mean, from from Boyd to Chatfield, Cherry Creek, Aurora to Pueblo, um, there's a lot of great open water fishing to to be at at hand and to take advantage of. Um, but the thing I really want to talk about uh, with you today, Kerry, because you really kind of schedule these things... Everybody gets ice, they get excited and they start fishing hard. Um, but so many people don't plan accordingly. And I wanted to talk about building that plan. Obviously it's, it's not exciting information, but it's something that I think the average angler should really take advantage of. Um, we always talk about how early ice is obviously some of the best fishing of the ice season. Um, you know, temperatures are, it stables out, water's clear, oxygen levels are still high. Um, and fishing can be incredible. Um, I want to talk about how you, an angler should try to take advantage of the longest periods of ice conditions. So, you know, as your Carriols freeze, as your Delaney's freeze, as your Ontario freezes, hit that first two, three weeks of that first ice on those bodies of water. And then as your big bodies of water's cap, your Williams Forks, your Grambys, your Taylors, your Blue Mesa's, you know, that first ice for those bodies of water might be six weeks after a lot of these other lakes are freezing. So you could really have first ice conditions almost for two months, if you chase the ice and chase the conditions around the state. And that's really a, a topic that a lot of people don't think about. They really plan and they wait for certain trips. But really, if you schedule it right, you can have peak fishing for, you know, up until the third week of January, lakes at different cycles. And you can really take advantage of that first ice. And then really just plan your calendar to hit the right species at the right time to where you have optimal fishing throughout the course of the year. I mean, and myself as a guide service, as we book trips, we don't just book, you know, all trout fishing trips in South Park or book all lake trout trips or whatever it may be. We try to schedule all of our trips around certain times of year where certain fish are going to be most active to where hopefully by the time from spring to, or from fall to all the way coming up to spring, uh, we're on extremely active fish the entire course of
1: the ice. Well, you know, a couple of things you mentioned really hit home too, because there's a reason that early ice tends to be so good. Good. First of all, you know, a lot of us know because we've paid attention to where the fish are because just because the lake freezes, those fish don't just take off. They're typically kind of in an area where they were before it froze, so we know where to start fishing. But the biggest things when the ice first freezes, there's still a ton of oxygen in the water. And the fish haven't been molested. You couldn't get a boat out. You couldn't cast because the ice was too thin to get out on, but it was too, but there was too much ice. So those fish virtually typically haven't been fished over for two or three weeks. They've settled down, they're not as spooky. There's a lot of oxygen. Their metabolism, especially species like trout, maybe walleye, uh, some of the panfish, stays pretty active yet. And because of that, they're 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 easy to catch. And as they get worked, you're going to have to change your tactics. As the oxygen levels change, you have to change your tactics. But I can, you mentioned I can start. Like Red Feathers and North Michigan are gonna. I'm typically able to get on those almost immediately. They may even be frozen. I haven't been back long enough to check, and I would certainly wouldn't send anybody out there. But I I can almost get on those lakes almost immediately and go catch some trout and just get that first kind of get that first blood, Nate, and get my blood going and know that I got the got the skunk off right away.
0: I mean, you know, I talk to so many people that are hardcore ice fishermen or you know, they're, they're extreme lake trout fishermen or pike or walleye, whatever species you target. And, you know, a lot of these anglers literally kind of raise their nose to, to stalker rainbows or that type fish. Um, but I think it's detrimental to, to literally hone your skills, work on equipment, just really go out and have a good day. You know, this is the time where take a new, new person out ice fishing, take a kid with you. Um, but I mean, almost every year I start off at Terryall. you know, that's going to have ice very... Very shortly, um, you know, you can go up there and just test things out. Make sure your equipment's working. You know, run the augers. Um, you know, make sure your transducer didn't get beat up on your Vexlar last year. And that's something that every year, you know, people uh, people overlook the fact that you know you're dragging your transducer on the ice from hole to hole, and a lot of people don't take care of those transducers. And get out right now and see if those those graphs are working properly. If they're not, you have time to order electronics before you really get into the bigger fish into the really serious trip, you know, that you look forward to for a year. Um, um, but get out there and, and catch some of those fish, you know, and take advantage of this early ice. And not to say that it's just early ice is for those younger fish. I mean, some of these lakes like Carial, um, you know, in that water right now when it first caps, those pike are still kind of on their their winter feed prepping for the upcoming season. So you can go right now and literally get into, you know, at first ice some of the biggest pike of the entire season now and then pre-spawn, you know, coming in February and March. Um, so, again, really more than anything, plan that schedule, you know, the early ice for for the big rainbows in South Park is phenomenal. The early ice for the big pipes is phenomenal um, you know the big wall ice the big lake chart all of those things have a different season and try to plan your your approach to where you're on active fish and the biggest thing I'd say is the midwinter blues when there gets to be a lot of snow on the lake Oxygen levels are low, light conditions are low that's where a lot of anglers really struggle and really I would try to target the fish that that you might normally not want to then you know so say for me, you know, it's that late January, early February. That's probably the toughest conditions for the South Park Pike and rainbows, and that's where I put all my emphasis on the Front Range walleye. Um, even though the walleyes can get in that midwinter blues, you're going to have such big bodies of water like Chatfield, where you have the South Platte flowing into it, where even with snowy conditions on the lake, you still have plenty of oxygen and those fish are extremely active, Smallmouth through the ice. Nobody talks about that. And it is a phenomenal bite that is just, it's routine. You can count on it like the sun coming up. Um, So those are the type of things where I literally plan my calendar, plan my trips, plan my vacation time. Um, around the bite. nobody, Everybody just fishes for what they hear is hot. You know, hey, where should we go next weekend? As opposed to where literally I sit down at the calendar, I try to think about all the species. You know, think about fishing arctic char at Dillon, which, you know, is a great mid, uh, mid-winter bite uh, as those fish go deeper. Fishing those younger lake trout midwinter. Fishing the kokanee salmon at 11 mile. We have a phenomenal population there this year. That's a phenomenal late January, early February bite. We actually use... The, the lower oxygen levels and use the overall stability that, are, that a longer winter brings to actually gather all that plankton. Once the plankton's gathered, that kokanee gather up in a bigger school and it makes it easier on the angler to target those fish. So, more than anything, the, the topic for today was try to plan your seasons accordingly. Obviously, you have to have some leeway as things change or weather changes and ice changes, um, but thinking about those bites and building a plan to get you more fish on a daily basis than just running and gunning and, and chasing bite that you hear is hot. So a lot of times, by the time you hear it's hot, you show up and you have the typical saying of should have been here yesterday. When bites are hot, anglers are on top of it. By the time the word spreads, a lot of times that bite fades out.
1: No, you're absolutely right. I wanna I wanna cut back to what we were saying a little bit earlier too. You know, fishing early ice, especially on some of the lakes that are marginal for stalker trout you know if you're ever going to catch the bigger holdover trout that early ice is a time when you'll catch those and if you've got light gear going after the stalkers they'll give you all the fight you want it's incredible but i think the biggest mistake people make early ice for trout whether they're stalkers or holdovers is they like to fish too deep
0: Yep, absolutely. We talked about that last week. And, you know, the the average angler, even if they do end up fishing shallow on the out of the on the, on the ice, they always start deep and then work shallow. And they never stay shallow enough. You know, we uh, I can't tell you how many times I, I catch fish in less than five feet of water. I mean, sometimes two feet of water, where you're drilling your hole, you have to be careful not to hit your auger blade. Um Shallow fish are always more aggressive and, generally speaking, are going to be bigger of the entire fish in the system. And and so many people are scared of that. We keep preaching it. We've been preaching it for years. And I think anglers are still reluctant to do that and or, like we say, they always go back to their comfort zone. They start off deep. And by the time they get shallow, whether it's mid-morning or midday, um, a lot of times they miss the shallow water opportunity because a lot of times that's going to be at first light and last light. But again, the the confidence anglers have in that deep water restricts them from missing some of the best bites of the year.
1: Well, I think another thing that happens with the shallow water bite, too, and we're all guilty of this, all of us that have been in this ice fishing game for a long time, is preaching how we use our electronics and you know spotting the fish on electronics changing the cadence of your presentation as you see a fish well when you get real shallow a lot of times you won't see the fish at all or you won't see them until they're already in the hole and on the bait and they're cruising through in that shallow water. I think that's more important than ever is a time to rely less on your electronics and go to a two hole presentation where you have an active presentation that even if they won't bite draws them into your location and a more passive presentation that they may bite if they won't Hit the active one,
0: a hundred percent. And I mean, that's it. And again, everybody wants that confidence of seeing them but in shallow water. You might not have that. Having both options to uh, to just give it time, you know. A lot of times when I'm shallow water fishing, I, I drill a hole and I give the fish a little bit of time to recover from drilling that hole and all that noise, um, but you get into a 15-minute, 20-minute stance where you fish 15 minutes and move on and cover water. Don't rely on electronics, but offer them both techniques to where you know you give them a, a good a good option of, of tactics, um, and it'll shock you the fish you catch in that
1: shallow water. Well, a lot of times what I'll do is I'll start out. I'll drill two holes shallow, two holes a little bit deeper. I may drill six or eight holes just to start with, and start looking and fishing till I establish a pattern. But you hit it right on the nose when you said, if you can find them shallow, there's only one reason they're there. And, boy, some of the biggest fish I've caught in the front range, and you mentioned Chatfield, the trout you can catch. I know we're going to talk a lot of walleyes, (laughs) and we're going to talk a lot of fish, but the size of trout in these front range lakes is unbelievable, especially in winter fishing.
0: It's absolutely. I mean, some of the biggest trout of the entire year, come out of this front range, when I mean, you look at the big rainbows at horseshoe, the big rainbows at Chatfield, I mean, we uh, we saw rainbows at Chatfield this year up to 28 inches. Uh, we've seen browns to 30 inches in the past. Um, I mean, in, anytime that you put these trout on a big shad-based forage, um, I mean, seeing a 10-pound trout on the front range is not uncommon, and some people aren't targeting those fish. Um, and right now, this time of year to where the shad are on shorelines because of light source, like in a boat dock bay or a parking lot, it pulls those shad and at low, low, Light, early in the day, late in the day, um, it'll blow your mind the big rainbows feeding on the shad, and that's going to continue right into the ice season. So the second you get ice, uh, again, that shallow water, you find the shad, you're going to find the big walleye, the big rainbows, and the big smallmouth. Uh, so learn to chase the forage, uh, and that's what leads you right back into the circle of fishing shallow. It's going to get you fish, for sure.
1: I'm going to see if I can get the crew here to put Mr. Gantz on hold. He just called in. Are you ready to talk to him? I'm going to bring him up just for a minute. Dave Terry Wickstrom, how are you?
2: Hey, I'm really good, Terry.
1: I'm going to put know, you yeah. on hold in a minute, and we're going to talk just you and I. But I got somebody on the line that wants to say hi to you.
0: Okay, Dave, it's Nate Zelensky in Colorado. How are you, sir? Hey, I'm I'm really
2: good. I'm sitting here on the shores of a lake with plenty of ice on it. And if there anything okay. bad the wind is blowing?
1: But <laughs> Nate said <laughs> he's going to see you out shows. at the, he's going to see you out at the show next week, I believe.
2: Yeah, we'll be in St. Paul there at the St. Paul Ice Fishing
1: Show. Now, you don't Saint really Paul. have to spend talking to Nate when he's there, do you, Dave? Uh, no, actually, he's
2: pretty busy. It's a busy show. We don't get to talk to each other
1: very much. <laughs> I, well, I was only kidding. <laughs> Nate's a great guy. He's a great contri- contributor to this show and, of course, a member of the ice team and uses the clam products. I wanted him to say hi to you. I'm going to put you on hold, Dave, and I'll bring you back in just a few minutes.
0: Okay. Perfect, um, Dave, Dave. we'll see you on hi, Friday Neil.
1: All right, I think he's, hopefully he's still there. We I'm going to put him on hold here. He's on hold, but Nate, I'll let you go so I can get to him. Of course, Mr. Ice Fishing, uh, he's really a legend, isn't
0: he? Uh, he is, absolutely. He uh, Great stories. I love just sitting there, even just hear him talking to other people, to hear uh, the passion in his voice and where the sport uh, started and where it's at now.
1: All right, Nate, we will talk to you next week. And as always, thanks. Bye. Nate Zielinski, great, great contributor to the show, as always. We love Nate. Um, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Honey Smoke Fish Company, Smoked Salmon. The secret is in the fire. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Sun Power Sports, Colorado's largest ATV and motorcycle dealer. We're going to go right back to the phones so we can give this gentleman a proper introduction. You heard him say hi to Mr. Nate Zielinski. Of course, Nate is one of our very own ICE team members and a contributing part of this show and a great resource for us. But on the phone, joining us again, we have Mr. Ice Fishing, Dave Gantz. If you looked at my Facebook page over the last week, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, you'd have seen that I reposted a interview and an article that I did with Dave last year at this time. We kind of talked about ice fishing and where it's come, and if you're an avid ice fisherman, you're into ice fishing, and you're successful because of today's equipment, you really have uh, this gentleman to thank for a lot of where things are at. Good morning, Dave. Good morning, Terry. So you're on the edge of the ice about to go out.
2: Yeah, the bike's sitting on the ice, and there's a dozen people out there. I just thought I would be out of the wind to do this, and have, instead of having the wind whistling in the phone.
1: You know, bike. Let's talk about that right away. This is kind of unique. Now, you become Mister Fitness. I mean, you're like me. We're, in fact, we're pretty close in age, um, and we got to take a little better care of ourselves. you started uh, watching your diet, getting more exercise, doing a lot of biking. Now you've taken that bike, and you're transferring it to your ice fishing.
2: Yes, I've got that you know, one of these fat tire bikes. So it got, you know, kind of wide tires on it. I put studded tires on them. There's 240 carbide studs in each tire. And I'm able to ride my fat tire bike out on the ice, pulling my fish out.
1: So you take your portable fish house and you actually pull it out there. You know, that would probably become very popular out here in Colorado because we have a huge biking uh, uh, contingency here and the fat tire bikes, especially how easy. And obviously you can't go through three feet of snow, but if there's light snow or no snow on the ice, you get around pretty good with that.
2: Yeah. Well, the most I've experienced is a couple of inches of snow so far, you know, which uh, that wasn't, wasn't an issue at all. You know, and, and then I also have a pedal assist. I've got a little battery and a little motor that's on this thing that, that when you pedal it if it if the going gets tough then the motor helps
1: and and you're well, able to pull your uh or fi- uh, you i'm sure you're playing a fish trap type shelter
2: yeah the one man house behind it on a on a hitch we built specially for it but it goes on there really quick it clips onto a couple of eye bolts on the house and a little pin on the on the rack on the by the back tire and i'm totally impressed how well it works and and how this old guy here, you know, I'll be uh, 70 next week and, and able to, you know, get around on this bike.
1: Oh, that's pretty tremendous. Um, do you have anything, like, on one of your websites that shows anything about that?
2: Uh, not yet. You know, this has all happened here in the last, uh, you know, week, and I've, I've got time for that. I'm fishing.
1: <laughs> well, I'm sure you will post something, and we'll get that out. But what a great idea. You know, in Colorado... Um, we get a lot of days on our, our front-range lakes will freeze. Our mountain lakes are starting to freeze now. Our front-range lakes will freeze here in two, three weeks. But we get a lot of sunny days, so we get snow, but it melts. So a lot of times it is, there's no snow on the ice here on the front range. In fact, you can go out in pretty light clothing quite a bit. So that would be, what a great opportunity for somebody. You know what, You could you could even just take your bike out, a fishing rod, and go around and fish some open holes and have a good time.
2: Yes, you could. Oh, i got this little cart that goes behind it, too, that it's the same. Uh, you see people hauling their children behind their their, their bikes on the bike trails. You know, you, you could just put that behind and throw your ice fishing gear in there, your auger and your Vexlar and, you know, off you could go that way.
1: Oh, you're absolutely right. Let's talk a little bit about where ice fishing has come. I mean, uh, and not even all as far as using a fat tire bike, but... You and I, gosh, we go back. I remember ice fishing when we either we either sat on a bucket and froze, or we had to be in one of those huge houses that somebody pulled out with a truck. And the fish never seemed to know where we had parked that house, Dave.
2: <laughs> no, they don't. You know, they don't come by the house till the sun starts going down, and then the fish start moving, and and they find you. But during these daytime hours. You got to be agile, mobile so that you can go
1: find the fish. Yeah, and I think we've kind of gotten that message out over the last few decades, but there's a lot of people new to ice fishing that maybe don't get it, and we developed, or you developed the system. I was just lucky to be there on your coattails. We, um, well, we went out and attacked the lakes the way we would in the summer. Somebody wouldn't, wouldn't, uh, wouldn't cast the same spot over and over all day long if they weren't catching a fish in the summer, but they would sit over the same hole in the ice all day long, wouldn't they?
2: Yeah, you know they're probably more worried about running out of beer than they are bait.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, so you developed, gosh, how long ago that? Right around the eighty, early eighties, the fish trap.
2: Yeah, you know we started fishing out of them in the, you know in the in the mid seventies we started building them just for ourselves and modifying them. You know I did them in the maintenance shop where I work, and uh, in nineteen seventy nine is when my wife started to sew them.
1: Well, my my first trap was sewed by your wife.
2: Yeah, there <laughs> that's a hundred. She sewed <laughs> a hundred that, uh, and there's a few around yet.
1: Yeah, well, that goes back a long time, but it really what it did was it opened up mobility, um, and you know we've come we've kind of come full circle to the point where we went we had ice fishing mobility. And it allowed us to go to these lakes as a group. Gosh, I remember before there was an ice team when you and me and Claudio and a bunch of guys, we would attack these lakes, call it trap attacks, and we'd go out and guys would just be hip-hopping around from hole to hole, pulling the fish traps, drilling holes. Of course, by that time, we had developed the use of electronics, and we'll get to that in a second. But in the shelter-wise now, I still have two fish traps. I have a single and a double, and that's what I fish out of almost all the time. But we are seeing a return to the hub shelter, not the big wooden shelters like you saw in Minnesota, which will always be popular up there, but not necessarily for fishing. But um, but we've seen a return where people are starting to use uh, a center shelter as far as a, a hub, that they all kind of come and they gather? Because I think the one thing that when we were all in individual shelters, we lost a little bit of the camaraderie. Yeah, that's true in your
2: one-man houses. But, you know, I don't feel like I'm fishing alone out there. We're fishing independently. We've all got the gear. And when we get the fish located, we're usually sitting close enough together. You can hear each other's giggle when you got a fish on, or you can hear the Rod hit the top of the house when you missed the fish, you know, so we're still digging at one another and having fun out there on
1: the ice. Well, and I agree with you completely. Even when we use a hub shelter to fish, I always pull my one-man trap with me, and that's where I do most of my fishing. And the advantages, Dave, aren't only comfort, but the fish trap, the way it's designed, you never have to take your stuff and unpack because it stays packed in there because of the flip-over design. And you always used to tell me anything you put on the ice becomes an anchor yeah
2: that's very true because uh, the more stuff you set out the you know the less times you're going to you know pack up and move and you know if that vexlar is running down there and there's no red lines on it, you know my favorite thing to catch is red lines on that vexlar I gotta move I just just can't stay there and and uh, look at that blank screen and just watch my hook go up and down.
1: Well, so, and then that's a great segue into the electronics. Now we're able to move around. We've got the shelters. We understand. We can stay comfortable. Um, we can say it. Also, the shelters allowed us to make precise presentations when we needed to, which you couldn't do in that cold, windy weather outside.
2: That You know, that's very true. And sometimes it's, you know, just a little twitch makes the difference on how, what, what triggers that fish into biting, you know, or, or, you know, holding it still. I have a hard time with that, but. You know, little short cadences that keeps that lure bouncing or kicking down there. That you know, and you do this all when there's when there's a fish there. You get this. You you know he's right there looking at it. So and then that, you can go through your, your list of things to make him bite until you till you trigger him.
1: And you know this as as revolutionary as the portable shelters were, the use of electronics probably is what increased people's catch rate more than anything, Dave.
2: Oh no no question when the when the vexular, you know, first came out, and you know I was fortunate enough to be in a lot of states to, to be the first one in the state with one. And you know, people would kind of laugh at you to start with, "Oh, I don't need one of them to get fish." But you know, after day one, most of them went. Something that took two days, but oh, so they went and owned one because it makes that much difference.
1: Well, you you developed what was called the um um the ice box or whatever, so you could put a motorcycle battery in there. And things have evolved since then. But you started out by you were manipulating parts off your wife's sewing machine to make an arm, to hold the transducer, and you really pioneered the use of these electronics. I think one of the misconceptions, it's not only knowing if there's fish there, but it's seeing how they're reacting and changing your presentation is the part that people miss. Yeah, that
2: uh, it's, it's also a mood indicator. It tells you that, that, you know, sometimes they want it rising, sometimes they want it falling, sometimes they want it and sometimes they want it real aggressive you know and and then knowing that they're that they're not there you know to uh you know i fish real aggressive that i'm snapping the lure up picking it up four or five feet off the bottom letting it back down again you know sometimes little spoons work really well to to have them to draw them in you know but then sometimes you got a quick change to another bait to make them bite
1: Oh, you're absolutely right. Hey, Dave, we're going to take a quick break. we kind of been nostalgic and talking about where we've come and the shelters and the electronics. We come back. I want to take a few minutes to talk about some of the new clothing and some new techniques you're using and maybe some of the new baits like tungsten and get your opinion on them. Okay, sounds good. All right, I'll put you on hold, and we will talk to you in just a minute. Um, We're talking to Dave Gens, Mr. Ice Fishing. Oh, I just hung up on Dave. Would you call him back, Karen? I hit the wrong button. I apologize. We'll get him back by the time we're out of this break. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Sun Power Sports, Colorado's largest ATV dealer. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Sportsman's Warehouse. America's premier outfitter. We're going to go right back to the phones. We're talking to Mr. Ice Fishing, Dave Gantz. Sorry about that, Dave. I was going to blame the control room for hanging up on you, but it was me. I hit the wrong button. (laughs) Well, I got a
2: little nap in during the commercials anyway.
1: That was good, yeah. (laughs) Hey, we talked a little bit about where this, what, what I guess we lovingly refer to as the revolution, which goes back to the 70s, I guess, but the, all these decades when you and I were involved, and Claudio and the boys from In Fisherman and t- uh, Tony uh, Tony Dean, there was just a, uh, an, a plethora of people in the outdoor industry that latched onto this, and you kind of led the charge. And ice fishing changed forever. Um, there's been changes since then, but they've been more subtle than when during the revolution. But let's talk about some of those changes. And I think the first one is the clothing, Dave.
2: Oh yeah, you know, see you know, staying dry out there. You know, the these new materials that we got keep us dry but let let it breathe so the moisture can escape. If you're, you know, drilling a bunch of holes or walking pulling your fish house you can definitely get your heart rate up so. You know, and now the cold floats. Uh, I spent a lot of years at early ice. Maybe not when we first started, we weren't smart enough for a life jacket, but as you got a little older we wore a life jacket. You know, and now I just gotta the new Ascent suit on from from Ice Armor, and, you know, it's comfortable, pliable. I remember them first orange float suits that were out there. The guys looked like tin men walking around.
1: Oh, yeah.
2: You know, but these these new suits are just amazingly flexible and, you know, comfortable and extremely warm. You know, I've I've been out in some, you know, zero weather already this year. We've had a a little of that, a little below zero, and I just got a T-shirt, a Light sweatshirt and this jacket on, and I'm
1: posty. Oh, you're, you're absolutely right. Those those new suits and the, especially the flotation that's built into them, you, you get a better—you don't want to get s- stupid, but you get a sense— you get you feel more comfortable and safe. And, you know, having the good clothing, because I can remember back before we had the shelters even, and the clothing we got had was so marginal. We had those old army surplus boots and 12 layers. You couldn't move, and you sat on a pail and froze. Now, even if we're in our one-man fish traps, sometimes— We'll have five or six holes drilled close to us, and before we move the fish trap, we'll go out and just bop the the electronics into three or four different holes and lower a jig down just to see what's going on.
2: Yeah, you bet. You know, another interesting thing about, about going that first drop down a, a new hole, the first time you lower your line down, That's most of the time is the most important, important time, and we tend to take our old bait from the hole we were in and, and put it down that new hole. Well, I I many times put on new bait before I leave my old hole so that I've got fresh bait when I go to the new holes.
1: Speaking of baits and presentations, what are some of the trends? I guess the biggest trend we've seen over the last few years has been tungsten, but that and other things, what are some of the trends that you've adopted or that you think have really made a difference over the last few years?
2: Well, you said tungsten, of course, you know, and and. A lot of people, it's heavier, you know, so it gets up and down quicker. You know, between a a lead jig and a tungsten jig, if you're in 10, 12 feet of water, it's hardly measurable the difference in the time. So, you know, the denseness of it so that, that uh, you get a better signal on your sonar, you know, that's real beneficial. You know, I actually feel that you get a, a bump, you know, your, your, Trans, your signal from your transducer is a sound wave, and it bounces off a tungsten and, and travels. And you get a you know a better bump because of its, its density.
1: Now, it's, if 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 you were going to talk to ice fishermen starting out right now, or even experienced ones, looking at all the things we've done and what's been developed and where we're at, what are still some of the most critical mistakes that ice fishermen make as they're getting into the sport?
2: Well, I think the biggest mistake that new people is they go fishing at at you know noon, you know, and and quit at two or three o'clock because they're they're cold. You know, if you're gonna if you're a new ice angler, you you really should get out there and fish from an hour before sundown through sundown. You know, that's when the fish are are moving and biting, and you'll have a chance to catch some. To go out at noon. You know, you need to be that mobile person, experienced angler to be, to have success during the midday.
1: And what other, any other trends as far as presentations that you've seen or anything new? You know, the other thing we get away, we're always looking for the newest thing. A lot of the old stuff we used over the years still works really well, Dave.
2: That, that is good, but, but plastics is, is something that is really catching on here right now. You know, I use the Mackie Plastics. I like them the best because they're hand-poured right here and. In the United States, in Buffalo, New York, in a you know an industrial arts teacher's basement, you know, so it's it's you know really good. It's really pliable. It looks really lively out there. I uh, I had an interesting thing though about plastic. I had a John Gillespie in my boat here, real recently, and he stuck with plastics. And at the end of the day, there was at least twenty pieces of plastic laying on the floor of my boat that that looked perfectly well, but but he took to a few times and they didn't, you know, they didn't go on there nice. And if you're like me, it's amazing how you'll reposition that plastic down until there's only one little tentacle left, you know, instead of putting a new piece on.
1: Yeah, and you know, another thing with the artificials we have nowadays from a number of companies between the scents and the shapes and everything we have there's many days now where I'm confident going ice fishing without bait. Ten years ago, if somebody told me I would be on the ice and I wouldn't have a package of eel uh, larva maggots or some wax worms or something, I would have thought they were crazy. But and there's times when I still still the bait will all perform. But boy, I'm getting pretty confident about using artificials.
2: Yeah, and that's it. But keeping that artificial, you know, looking well and straight so it's not spinning when you lower it down. You know, there's you know all kinds of these little things, and that's what fishing in general, but ice fishing for sure is you. It's the little things that make a difference.
1: Oh, they really are. It's just uh, it's the tiny, tiny little nuances, and I think in ice fishing, Dave, people don't understand that those nuances are more important. If I'm casting a leadhead jig out fishing smallmouth in the summer, and I'm putting some motion to it, or I'm bringing a crankbait by, a lot of times that fish doesn't have much time to look at it. He either either has to eat it or not. When I lower it down a hole in the ice, that fish can take all day long to examine it before he bites if he wants.
2: Yeah, that's very true. That's why I, I tend to stay pretty aggressive so that they don't get to, to swim up to it and examine it. And so many times when you stop your bait, uh, when that fish comes in, it just starts to spin. It doesn't stop, you know, and and that's an unnatural motion to them fish to see this lure spinning in front of them, you know, And they turn and swim off, you know, to keep that little rapid cadence going. Or, you know, a lot of these fly reel styles that they're using now really help keep the twist out of your line.
1: Do you use many super lines through the ice, or are you still mostly mono or fluorocarbon? What are you using?
2: Yeah, it's mono and fluorocarbon. Uh, I'll use some super lines if I'm using a baitcaster reel and fishing in deep water for like lake trout or, you know, sometimes some other species get really, really deep. But I I like mono the best because it doesn't pick up any water. Uh, the, all the braids tend to bring more water up to the guides. And, uh, you know, especially if you're fishing outside and you wind it up out of the spool and it freezes together. You know, so that's why I'm still a a, a mono guy. i um, fluorocarbon. I've you know, I've definitely had some success with it. You know, I like the the way it feels, and that you know, but the if, if you stretch it, it tends to get kinky. Then.
1: Oh, the the uh, fluorocarbon. The
2: fluorocarbon does. Yeah. You know the the mono kind of springs back to where it was before, and fluorocarbon once you stretch it, it stays stretched.
1: Yeah, it does stay stretched a little bit. So monofilament's still your favorite. I personally go back and forth from monofilament to the super lines with a leader. The reason I use some of the super lines up here is a lot of times it's 40 degrees, even though I'm on good ice, and I don't worry about that. But you're right. If you're worried about ice on the guides, the mono. And that's another thing the shelters will do for you, right, Dave, is, I mean, they'll help keep that line free of ice. Uh,
2: that's correct. You know, it's you know, comfortable in there. The reels perform well. They don't get stiff in the cold. You know, clam, we've got some new line that we've introduced this year. I, I was fortunate enough to fish with it uh, last winter, and it's metered line, meaning that uh, there's a chunk of, of, well, the one I'm using, an orange line, and then there's clear line, and then there's orange line, and then there's clear line again. So you can tie your jig onto the clear line, and but yet, you know, up out of the water, you can see this orange line if you're a, a line watcher.
1: Oh, that's, yeah, that really makes a difference. And you see, you tend to see the movement a lot better. But, um, you know, folks, you heard Dave say that uh, what kind of line he likes to fish with, that might be an important question here coming up before the end of the hour. Dave, we are out of time. Any last comment before we let you go?
2: Well, you know, good luck out there on the ice and you can't catch them in your living room watching football.
1: All right. Thank you, sir. We need to get out on the ice together again. It's been way too long.
2: Yeah, you better come here this winter and, so you and I and Greg can get together.
1: We'll make it happen. Okay, Terry. Sounds good. Thanks, Dave. That's Dave Gents, uh, Mr. Ice Fishing. He's pretty, uh, pretty tremendous. What a great guy he is. He's just super. By the way, you know, this, uh, one of our sponsors is Honey Smoke Salmon. They bring this segment to you. They are just incredible, incredible people. Um, I mentioned earlier about this time of the year, I really love the products. And there's a couple reasons why I do it. You know, you want to watch what you eat a little bit more because everybody tends to get little, gain a little weight over the holidays. What's it's going to make you just uh, eat healthier automatically and still taste good. It feels almost like you're cheating. But the biggest reason is when people come over, I'll guarantee you, if you invite people over and you served honey-smoked fish companies, smoked salmon, if you serve it just by itself with some crackers, if you serve it in a dip, my favorite one is just one part cream cheese, one part honey-smoked salmon, and I just put it in my food processor. Sometimes I'll add a little seasoning. People fall in love with it. They will go home and they will buy some. Or when you go to somebody's house, bring a package with. It'll make you the hit of the party. So remember that. By the way, since we're not doing an Ask the expert today, the first texter at 303 713 1043 that tells us the type of line that Dave Gentz likes to fish with will get a $25 gift card to Sportsman's Warehouse. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Sportsman's Warehouse, America's premier outfitter. Little Dire Straits. Another one of my top groups. I love the guitar licks. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Honey Smoked Fish Company's Smoked Salmon. The secret is in the fire. We're going to go right to the phones. Joining us as he does every other week at this time, Mr. Ronnie Castiglione from Fishful Thinker. Good morning, Ronnie. Aloha, Mr. Terry Wickstrom. How are you doing this morning? I'm doing well. A little jet lag, you know that red eye back from Hawaii, you know. But it's the price you pay for doing research for the listeners.
3: But well, uh, it sounds like you guys had a good time out there. Looks like you had some really good weather from the pictures I saw.
1: Yeah, we did. We were we were first time to Kauai. We've been to the other islands, and we finished it off by a helicopter ride down into the canyon along the walls and stuff. So that was a, that was interesting. It was kind of a fun trip. It was a good trip. So uh, it was well, fun and.
3: I t- I t- Tell you what, Terry, we were out on horse to the reservoir today, and and this is like Hawaii weather we're having right now. It's it's warm and calm out here, and beautiful. And boy, this weather's been crazy
2: for the last. Uh
1: few days huh well i'll tell you what when i left it started getting cold and i thought we were going to have early ice on the front range i come back to find out i'm going to be having dinner on my patio but um yeah but you know with all outdoor activities the weather influences them so greatly so you got to change your battle plan i know you're a major ice fisherman but we're winding down the boating season i can't help but think you're not taking advantage of this to get some great fishing in
3: Yeah, and it's probably something we should let people know. Um, I am on Horsetooth Reservoir today. Horsetooth is open. Uh, Limited boating hours, however, so inspection hours are from 8 to 4 p.m., and it will be open today. It's going to be open Sunday. And then next weekend, the lake will be open as well, Terry. And then they're going to close the lake on December 4th. So you got just this weekend, and then you've got Thursday, Friday, Saturday, next weekend. And that's going to do it for boating on horseshoe this year. Uh, as far as the big boats go, Terry, now it's important to let people know that may not know that as far as getting out in a little boat. If you have a hand launch boat, something like a canoe or a kayak, or something along those lines or a float tube, you will still be able to utilize tooth or Carter Reservoir. You just can't back a trailer down into the lake, Terry. So as long as you can handle out your boat, you'll be able to get out. And uh, that's something I'll probably be doing here, especially since the weather has just been so nice, Terry. You know, it's going to be crazy not being able to get out if we're seeing seven degrees on the thermometer. But we are out here today, Terry. And the other thing I really wanted to mention, oh, let's let's talk about Boyd Lake real fast, too, up here, Terry. Uh, Boyd is going to be closing uh, December 1st. So you just have a few more days. Boyd is still on, uh, you know, seven days a week sort of a thing as far as getting out. They do have some limited launch hours, so you need to check and see as far as when you can launch. And they've also changed some things about dropping tags at that lake. So you need to read some of the new alerts in there as far as being able to get out and dropping a tag without being inspected uh, ahead of time. So they've changed some stuff on there. So that's important to know. But it is that time of year, Terry, where we're kind of winding down the boating season. But, you know, there's still a lot of fishing to be done right now, Terry.
1: Well, knowing you, first of all... You get into those huge trout this time of the year, and I'm sure the walleyes and bass are still going with this weather we've had, so you're probably chasing all of those, and you'll be out in a small boat, but you'll also end up chasing some of them from shore right through the winter. I know you're an avid ice fisherman. Boy, you love to chase some of those big trout, especially this time of the year.
0: Yeah,
3: I really do, Terry, and I will say this, however, this year these big trout have been— few and far between for us as of yet. Now, they could show up on any given day, and they've done that in years past where it was, seemed like, oh, we're just not going to find them, we're not going to find them, and then they show up and we catch them real good for a couple weeks. So they could show up, but I do suspect that the numbers are definitely going down here in Horsese as far as the number of those big trout that are left in the reservoir. I get you know, a lot of them have been caught, a lot of them have died off Terry, and they're kind of getting to the end of their average lifespan. It's not that they'll all die after they reach that six to seven year mark, but a good number of them will make it and die out at that point. So the numbers are definitely kind of starting to go down. But if you do make contact with a big trout that are still in horse tooth, Uh, You know, we've caught one so far this fall, Terry, and it was nine pounds. And my guess is that was probably a small one for what's in here right now. Um, I think if you make contact with them, most of these fish are going to be over that 10-pound range. So they're worth fishing for still, but, boy, they're just not as easy as they've been for the last three or four years, Terry.
1: Well, and like you said, a lot of those big fish and horse tooth, and this isn't necessarily the same case in other front range lakes, was due to an emergency dumping of fish because of a fire many years ago. And those fish kind of all grew in one year class and they it hasn't been stocked as prolifically but that being said i would imagine you've got a pretty good smallmouth and maybe a walleye bite going
3: yeah the smallmouth are going pretty good and we're catching those vertically fishing today uh, we're doing a lot of spooning, and we've been catching smallmouth down around that thirty to forty foot range. Uh, they're definitely associated near the bait fish. So as you move around the lake, we're kind of scanning and looking for the big schools of shad that are pushed up on some of the main lake structure. Uh, the big schools of smelt as well, and that's kind of what we're 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 targeting right now. And I wouldn't be surprised if we catch some walleyes doing that today as well. And we may stumble into a trout doing that. So it's definitely worth doing, you know. And that's the thing this time of year, Terry. You know, I, I, I mentioned that I wanted to talk a little bit about reactions. Baits, you know, and catching fish with reaction-style baits, it's definitely that time of year. As the water gets cold and we're getting into the 40-degree water temperature, I'm looking at
2: 48
3: right here on my electronics. Uh, some days you get out and these colder water temperatures, the fish are definitely on the feed. And you'll catch them a lot of ways. Those other days you're going to get out and as this water temperature gets cold, Terry, you really got to approach them and try to get them to react to something, Terry. So, you know, it's not necessarily a feeding bite. It's not a slow presentation. It's not a drag. It's not that kind of a thing. It's more of a you know a blade bait that's being ripped by those fish and getting them to react to it. It's a heavy jigging spoon that's falling vertically through the water column, and as it falls past the fish, they swim over and get it real quick. They just kind of react to it. The other way we'll go about catching fish, you know, this time of year is we do catch a lot of fish on jerk baits this time of year as well, but it just really has to do with what depth the fish are holding at and whether you can get the jerk bait down around them or not, as to whether or not they're going to bite it. But I suspect if we get a little bit more wind here today, we'll start working some of these dam faces with baits, and we should run into a lot of smallmouth that will move up as the wind starts to blow, Terry. So, you know, it's just that time of year where people need to start thinking about the reaction-style baits and get out there. If you haven't gone out and learned to work a spoon vertically or learned to yo-yo a spoon on a cast or learned to rip a blade bait or something like that, this is definitely the time of year to, you know, take the time and learn to do it. And the beauty is, is Terry, is once the lakes do ice up and you find yourself on the hard ice, uh, those same presentations will produce a lot. So, you know, you can get out there and you can catch a lot of fish on spoons and blade baits through the ice so it's kind of the same style of fishing we're doing today terry we're just doing from from the boat as opposed to standing on top of the
1: ice well you know another thing too and now you can't ice fish horse tooth but boyd and some of these other lakes so you get towards the end of the boating season you find those fish in certain pockets, on certain humps, along certain point, points of structure, a lot of them, because that water's getting down in the 40s already, are positioning for where they're going to be when the lake freezes, at least initially, till the oxygen moves them around. And when you get out there, those fish won't have been fished for a couple weeks because it'll be too thin of ice to get out on, but not enough to... Uh, but enough where you can't get a boat or cast from shore, a lot of times you're going to be fishing over fish that haven't been spooked in two, three weeks, and it can get active again real quick.
3: Absolutely, and Boyd is absolutely one of my favorite lakes to ice fish, Terry. That tends to be the lake I spend the most time on ice fishing. And the depth at which Boyd is at right now, the the level of the water in Boyd, uh, there's some real shallow flats now on either end of the lake that have enough water on them that will definitely hold fish once the ice forms, but they're not particularly deep. And, And the thing that's happening on those flats, too, is there was a lot of aquatic grass that has grown into Boyd over the last few years because the lake hasn't dropped really, really low. And so a lot of that aquatic grass that was left in Boyd late in the year is still in there. Uh, it's, not, it's not as tall as it was. It's definitely not up to the surface of the lake like you saw it you know, earlier in the year. But this time of year, that aquatic grass tends to be a little bit shorter, so maybe it's just only coming a foot or so off the bottom. If you can find some of that aquatic grass that's still left in the water at a reasonable depth, especially right in the areas where those flats fall off into the main basin of the lake, find that grass, get on the edge of that ga- grass, get in and around that grass, uh, mark that grass if you know exactly where that stuff is you can come back when it freezes up and you can drill some holes on top of it and you will absolutely blast the perch and you will absolutely run through a whole bunch of trout doing that as well on a lake like
1: boyd terry well i think um dave Gentz who was on just before you and i were talking about no i'm, I'm sorry it was nate zelinski and i were talking about it before dave came on and i think for trout especially on the front range lakes once the lakes freeze initially people tend to fish too deep ronnie
3: yeah, absolutely, they do. And, you know, one of the things is about early ice, Terry, you know, I get out of there on some pretty thin ice, I don't like to get over deep water, you know. If I'm going to fall in, I want it to be about waist deep. And we definitely catch a lot of fish right in that range. And really, that's about the depth right now that the grass is still in Boyd. So there's not a whole heck of a lot of grass 10 feet and deeper in Boyd right now. But there is still some grass that's in that 6 to 7, maybe 8-foot range right around there. And so those are the areas I like to fish first, no doubt about it. And then, absolutely, Terry, you know, as we get later in the year, you end up working your way out a little bit deeper as the fish get pressured. But early in the year, those fish like to come shallow. And, you know, it's been my experience that if I get on that shallow, you know, that ice, that early ice bite, you know, Terry, if I put a two-and-a-half-inch min- two gulp minnow on an on a eighth-ounce or sixteenth-ounce jig head, I can catch just about everything that swims, and the trout absolutely love that presentation. It's kind of a no-brainer. Uh, it's a really, really good deal to do that with kids because you don't have to be putting bait on the hook. You don't have to be worrying about anything like that. You just hand them a jig with a gulp minnow on it, and you tell them to rip that thing up and down, and you'd be amazed at how many fish come in and bite that bait. You know, that's one of my favorite presentations through the ice, Terry.
1: You're absolutely right. Hey, Ronnie, we're out of time but a lot of good stuff. Hopefully people will take advantage of this good weather and get out and do a little more fishing. Will, we'll talk to you again in a couple weeks.
3: Absolutely. Get out while the boats are still on the lakes. Terry, get on out and take advantage of it.
1: All right, thanks Ronnie. Ronnie Castellano. It's going to wrap up the show for today. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook at Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Thank you to Kyle and Karen for getting through what I've been so jet-lagged today that I can't think getting me through this. Um, Don't forget to, you know, we're going to post podcast on our facebook page post my denver post article on the facebook page terry wickstrom outdoors we'll let the eagles take us to the top of the hour in 104.3 the fan